This is the Imitate Ted Radio Hour. I'm your host, Julian Fade. And I'm also here. I'm Corey Matthewson. They say to live a creative life, you must lose your fear of being wrong. We have lost that fear. We speak to world-renowned experts you've never heard of. Fake research, real comedians. They don't know what they're talking about. But that doesn't stop them from pretending they do. Each episode, we bring you made-up facts, unsighted research, completely improvised. Welcome to the Imitate Ted Radio Hour. Um jogo bonito. As Brazilian professional footballer Pele said in 1977, soccer, a beautiful game. The sport that brings nations together in a celebration of all that is good. But what is hiding underneath the brilliant, unmarked porcelain veneer of capable coaches, perfect passes, and terrific teamwork? If soccer is just a game, then why are so many involved not playing around? With us today is Caitlin Howden. She has been kicking away at the shins of soccer to reveal the nasty truths of extreme training, hyper-competitiveness, and problem parents. She recently released her acclaimed paper, The Social Dynamics of Players and Coaches in Hyper-Competitive Under-12 Soccer Leagues, in Northern Ontario, and it has unmasked an ugly side of the beautiful game. Caitlin, thanks for joining us. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's so nice to have you, Caitlin. Thanks for taking the time away from the conference you're attending to speak to us today. Which conference are you at again? Oh, yeah. We're at uh, the SHINS is the acronym. It stands for Soccer Holding in Needs. So it's a it's an outreach program. It's an outreach community. We meet uh, once every three weeks, I want to say, and uh, we just kind of do a little check in to see how people are doing. And these are people who have overcome soccer. So let's start with some general questions about soccer. As we understand it, soccer is a sport played by two teams of eleven players, and one of them <laughs> is the goalie. Um, yes, is that, and and the players we understand can't use their hands, but the goalie can sometimes. Is is this sort of uh, an apt, reasonable description for soccer? What's missing? <laughs> you know, Julian, it's so funny because that's that's what everyone says to me. They say, I think it's this, right? It's all these rules, right? And, um, and, I, and I asked the question to you, where do you think you first heard that story about what soccer is? Mm. And I think you'll realize that you've been told this tale for a very, very long time. And it's never been clear. And it's something that I realized I had also been told this tale, you know, as a as a as a bit of a boomer. Um, you know, I am in my early 40s now and uh, I, I've been told this tale a lot. And I said, I'm sick of being told a tale that I don't know what animal it's attached to. And so I went looking for the beast. Mm-hmm. You have to chase the tail to find the belly of the beast. Yeah. And let me tell you, I found it in U-12s. It's a really? Yeah. Have you ever personally played soccer yourself? Personally, I've, uh, okay, so what you would deem soccer? No, I guess I haven't played that sport. Mm -hmm. Have I kicked a ball for hours? Yes. Have I ran around in a field? You bet. And have I sometimes used my feet? And have I sometimes used my hands? Yeah. 
So I like to say that I have played soccer. Uh, everyone is always playing soccer. Anyone can play soccer. But what we've been told is soccer isn't soccer, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the important parts of soccer, as I at least understand it, is that there's players competing to get a small ball into a large metal rectangle. Right. And that for me right there is a Corey, great, great thing to bring up. That was the first thing that caught my eye. Because mm -hmm. for me, um, we, we grew up with these these Fisher Price toys of trying to fit the, the star into the star hole and it would fall into a plastic bucket. And the plunk of the bucket would be so satisfying knowing you would put the right shape into the right hole. And I'm not saying it's the CIA, but I'm saying that there have been interesting studies shown that we are now playing these mind games on children, forcing them to put something round into a rectangular shape. I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense, you know? I, I hear you. I absolutely hear you. And I want to get into the psychology, you know, behind this, uh, this adolescent shaping that we're doing. But first, I want to just sort of break down, you use this term hyper competition in your in your recent work. And, mm -hmm. and in, in one of the sections of the paper, you say, well, there's no I in team, but there is an I in win, and there is me in team. And so and, and that's fueling a lot of these kids and the, the competitive psychology behind them. So what is the step from competition to hyper competition for these U12s. Well, it's, it, it is in the I and in the me. You know what I mean? It's, it's in the I. When you speak of the I, you're using your ego and the ego is in the win. And when you speak of me, you often talk about me hurting, me sad, me vulnerable. Mm. And therefore that's what's in the team. By, by putting a strong emphasis on the winning, it makes our egos go cuckoo bananas, as we say in the industry. And uh, it's, it's forcing kids to think about winning a thing. Hmm? Now, now, when we are born, are, do we want to win? Is that something that we instinctively want to do? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. Julian? No, I don't. I never wanted to win anything. Exactly. This is something that we've been taught. It's been fed to us. I mean, <laughs> uh, you guys ever heard of something called the Olympics? I have. I have as well. I have as well. And I think everyone who's listening at home has as well. And it's been ingrained in us to, to look forward to winning, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's a shame because we're not meant to win. We're meant to die. Your research focused specifically on the U-12 soccer league in Northern Ontario. Mm -hmm. Why did you decide to research such a specific subsection and geographical region of the sport? Well, it started with a 1988 Toyota Tercel that didn't want to make its way past Wawa. <laughs> and so there I was in Wawa, Ontario, and I needed a job. I did. And they say uh, uh, a genius only finds her genius when she needs to. And so I needed a job because I needed to get my car fixed. And I got a job at the uh, local parks program and I was cleaning up the soccer fields after the game. So what you don't know is that these soccer games that they force children to play, um, they put lines on the grass and then just leave. So I was there to clean up the lines when they were done the games. And so there I was on my hands and knees, you know, cleaning the grass strand by strand, getting that white toxic paint off this beautiful, you know, breathing stalk. And I saw these kids. And I finally, because I was cleaning the grass, I was at their level. And I looked up at their coaches. And I suddenly thought, oh, what monsters they must look like. How scared these children must be. 
And it, and it was it was literally that defining moment. And it started to rain, and I couldn't tell if I was crying or if my face was just wet from the rain. And then a rainbow came out, and I realized I, I had been there for well, hours at that point. Fascinating. Let's turn to the lighter side. You referenced the unique names of the teams you followed. Uh, what were some of your favorite names of these teams? Okay, well, the first team that I ever saw play in that small park in Wawa were the Buckets. So they were the um, the big boy Buckets. They were my very first team, so they're always going to stay with me. Um, and then, of course, there was uh, they the rival team from North Bay. They were they were the uh, the truck daddies. Mm -hmm. I think their dads had a trucking business. And so they were called the truck daddies. And then I think the most famous U12 that uh, listeners at home will know were the spot devils. Let's dig in a little bit deeper on, I, I mean, this fascination that you have with the coaches and seeing the coaches from the perspective of the players. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the things that you talk a lot about is the discrepancies in playing time for some players versus other players. So what was it that led you to realize this discrepancy and, and what effects did it have on the players themselves? So I was... um. I was actually very lucky to have a, a bit of an inside view into the world as I had started um, uh, forming a relationship with a man named Brian Wreckers, uh, who was in fact a coach of the <clears throat> of the of the Big Boy Buckets. And um, Brian and I started dating, and we. I thought we were in love, and we were living together, and so I could see his papers and his notebook. And I did go through the notebook a few times. And I noticed that he was favoring the faster players, the ones who could run in a straight line, uh, the ones who could make contact with the ball. Suddenly, these children, these pawns, mm -hmm. were being played almost too much, I'd say. And, you know, and that's when I started to get on Brian's case. And I was like, you don't help out enough. You're playing kids too much. And he didn't like that. And I thought, you know, I, I, I did. Eventually I moved out. But uh, he is he is noted in the in my paper. He is a uh, he's he's coach X, actually. Oh, <laughs> I, I was wondering if it was going to be revealed, but it's uh, it was yeah. anonymous, obviously, for the peer review. But no, here we are. <laughs> it's my it's my uh, ex fiance, Brian. I'm I'm so sorry that it it ended in such a way, but I, I I think it's the best that you're moving on, you're moving forward, you're progressing, uh, and not not everything is a competition. You didn't have to win that, I guess, is what I want to say. Uh huh. Right. Yes. No. I guess I did lose that, didn't I? <clears throat> moving on. Sports is known for its glorious highs and depressing lows. Caitlin, can you describe one moment in your observations that really jump out that illustrates this dichotomy? Maybe paint us a picture of, of that moment. Yes, of course. Uh, well, you'll see the prime example of this would probably be the Division Four championship game for the big boy buckets uh, in Walla. Sure. They were facing off against the Lake Erie Ghosts at the time. Someone's done his research. Very nice. Uh, so the Buckets and the Ghosts, I think it was at this point, the third uh, quarter as they were restricting them to be playing in. Um, it was a tie game. And 
uh, Brian had asked me to move out and I showed up and he said that I should get the, I should get out of, I should get, go away. And, uh, and I said, I'm not going anywhere until I see these buckets win. And I heard myself say that. And I saw myself suddenly, and there I was standing in the middle of a children's, you know, division four tournament game, you know, wearing a pair of cutoff shorts, a t-shirt that said you had me at Merlot, begging for Brian back, talking about winning, winning. And, uh, and it was in that moment when, when the, when the kids saw me and they started to cry. I thought they shouldn't be crying on a day like today. And that's what winning does. Trying to win, being okay with not winning. And, and, and I just wanted the kids to run around. You know, I wanted the kids to run. I, uh, I, I didn't see if they won the game. And it doesn't matter. Because they're still my number ones. Wow. Wow. As part of your recent paper, you conducted qualitative interviews with some young players on the team, and we found some of the clips from that research. We'd love to play you some short segments so that you could break down, you know, what's happening and maybe what these kids are really trying to say. Oh, absolutely. That sounds great. Yeah, I can't wait to hear their little voices again. (laughs) I just like, I don't know, I prepare my parents to, I don't not talk as much. I can hear them like cheering me on and I'm like thinking in my head, just shut it. I'm trying to focus. My mom yells in Spanish. Like, go, go, go. Truly heartbreaking to hear. I'm sorry. The amount of smiling those children had to do while talking about how these parents who are supposed to protect them are embarrassing them, are making them feel unsafe, are speaking in a language they don't know. It's not okay. I mean, I I really think, I I do think that uh, if a child wants to play outside, a parent should be far, far away. All those kids, they were, it's, I'm so nervous, you know, that nervous laughter. That's what we call repetitive giggles um mm-hmm. it's, a, it's mm-hmm. a way of it's a way of hiding how you actually feel yeah yes it's characteristic in in each of those clips I, I can hear that giggle you can hear the giggle and you can you can hear the smile and you can also you can hear the eyes getting sadder and sadder couldn't you you could hear their eyes look sad your work looked not only at the players of course and you've mentioned this before but it also looked at the coaches and parents of these teams, you identified these embedded tensions in this new form of parenthood that you call deep involvement, uh, an, you know, an intensified form of, of parental engagement with youth soccer that is practiced primarily by fathers in the economic fraction of the middle class. How did this deep involvement manifest itself? I once saw um, a father duct tape his uh kid, his son, uh, to himself and ran with the boy. So here was this grown man, I'm going to say in his early Mm forties, um, with his son duct taped to him so that he could play in the game so that the, the team would be stronger. And it was all a technicality and, oh, it was allowed for the full 93 minutes of the game. Wow. And, And it was, I couldn't believe it. And you know what was crazy? I saw other parents 
clapping for him, going, hey, that's not a bad idea. I went, I mean, you, you can't you can't go to the hardware store in Wawa, Ontario for, for the uh, the fall of 1999, tell you that much. There was no duct tape there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it was all being used up. And it, and it even got to the point that um, parents started playing their own, quote unquote, soccer game uh, in the field next to them. Oh, laughing, hooping, hollering, having a great time. Also being much better at the sports than the children. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kind of kind of showing off. It was it was really disgusting. It was I'm going to use the word disgusting. And and we're we're all parents found to have the same kind of attitude. Mothers as well. Other parents, other caregivers, every adult involved. The ones that I spoke to. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone that I spoke to had a real hostility. Uh, everyone that I spoke to uh, really just just wanted, you know, to to get out of my face. And and I, and I thought that was so strange, such a strange commonality, you know, of these sports guardians. And that's all they are. They're sports guardians because they're not being parents in that moment. Uh, you know, they're 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 betting on the sidelines. Yeah, it, there was a there was a bit of a and it wasn't on the game. They were just playing dice on the sidelines. And so. But just having that near a kid, you know, that's like smoking a cigarette in a nursery. You don't need to. It's interesting you use the term guardians. I know in French, of course, a goalie is a gardien. And it's as if these parents are guardians or goalies against a true childhood. Was that accurate, do you think? Yeah, that's that's actually a very good point. I don't know why I didn't see that link earlier. (laughs) Yeah, that's, yeah, that. Yeah, that actually checks out a lot. Wow. Say that again. So you're saying that like, because the goalie mm. should have been protect is protecting the, and it's the same thing as the parents should have been protecting. Mm. The goal is a true childhood. And yet the goalie in this particular case, the what? parent is there to stop the ball of, of fun of childhood from getting into the goal of having a full childhood altogether. Whoa, that's good. It's your research that brought this brought this out. It's 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 reading between the lines of your excellent writing that that really made this resonate for me. Oh, really? Thanks. Oh, thank you. <laughs> that's that's very nice. Wow, no one's literally literally no one's ever said that to me. Um, you end your paper with a rousing call to action, a strong message to parents, politicians, and policymakers about how we can make soccer fun again. It would be a disservice to you and to listeners for me to attempt to paraphrase such a message. Could you share the message yourself? Thanks, Corey. Uh, yeah, I'd love to. <sighs> and so let's undo the soccer net, not by not, and heal each other square by square. Let's remove the net completely. Let's remove everything from soccer. And let's just let it be running in a field with a ball in a direction. Together, we each need to undo a little bit of what we've all done up. So let's undo so we can finally do what we need to do. Caitlin, before you get back to Shins, I just want to ask, what would you say to the children? What message would you have for the children playing competitive sports? And what do you want them to know? Gosh, what do I want them to know? Well, first of all, it's hard to, that's hard to say because, you know, Julian, their brains aren't fully formed. 
So what do I want them to know or what do I need them to understand so that they survive? Wow. So what do I, what I, what I need them to understand that uh, I'm doing this to help them, but I don't need them to know that. I just would like them to understand. They'll know it when they're older. <laughs> and it's an important distinction. Yeah, and it is also really important to remember that their brains are not fully formed. These are, they are not smart and not to be considered as full humans. So something to keep in mind. Caitlin Howden is the author of The Social Dynamics of Players and Coaches in Hyper-Competitive Under-12 Soccer Leagues in Northern Ontario. We thank you for taking the time out from Shins to join us today. Hey, I'll, I'll, ca- I'll catch you on a field. <laughs> The Imitated Radio Hour is produced by Rapid Fire Theatre. It is not affiliated in any way with NPR or the official TED organization. So please don't sue us. Rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For Corey Mathewson. For Julian Fade. This has been the Imitated Radio Hour.